Hi everyone, I'm Kim Winter, your host today and the Global CEO of Logistics Executive Group. Thanks for joining us today. And if you haven't already, by all means, go to Logistics Executive TV on the YouTube channel and have a look at the other podcasts that we're doing. Today I'm joined by one of uh, Asia Pacific's leading business leadership and team coaching specialists uh, from the company called The Reason in the Road, based in Sydney, Andrew Pepper. Welcome, Andrew. Hey, Kim. Great to join you. How are you? Good, thank you. Good to see you again. Uh, so, Andrew, look, you, you're a specialist right across the whole leadership and especially around teams space. Uh, you work with some of the world's largest organisations, tech companies, logistics, supply chain organisations. Um, you've had an interesting journey yourself. So why don't you give us a bit of a heads up on yourself from your side and uh, a little bit of the journey that's brought you to being one of uh, APAC's preeminent uh, coaches and leadership development specialists. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I think um, for anyone listening to this, it's, it's really, if you're going to learn from someone, it's really important to know their story and where they've come from and what they believe in. And so I'll just sort of take you through some of that. Uh, so you can get a picture of the frame of reference upon which I sort of see this work and I see the world. Um, <clears throat> my, in naming and creating my brand, the, the idea behind the reason and the road is a fundamental belief that uh, any great company, like there's a lot of businesses in the world, all the way from the small ones to the massive ones, any great, great company knows who it is and it has a plan of attack. And that combination of the sort of that left, that, that right-hand side of the brain, which is the creative purpose and the fundamental DNA of who we are and what we're about that permeates throughout uh, great companies. And then the clarity of process and structure that enables that to occur for me is uh, what I'm aiming to get all of my clients and client teams to the point of. Um, so how I sort of landed on that, that place myself sort of personally um <clears throat> i guess it was a whole range of things um uh, i was lucky enough uh, so i grew up in northern new south wales in australia uh in a near a place called in a place called lismore which is near byron bay um and many people internationally would know what that is and um uh i became really early on as a child, I became interested in personal development and, uh, you know, to the point where like, uh, I, I won an academic prize at school and, uh, the, the book I, I asked for was the seven habits of highly effective people. I remember <laughs> I just like, I'm a complete nerd with that stuff. Yeah. Um, and probably, I probably read more now than I do. Uh, you know, I read more then than I do now because I've kind of absorbed it all, but, I've always been interested in effectiveness, uh, personal growth and um, teaching and coaching. Um, and so back then I was early on, people recognized that, you know, I had a way of creating followers around it. People would listen to me um, and uh, they'd, you know, there's something about the way I communicated, whoever it was that, I showed some potential. So they put me on a whole bunch of leadership camps and um, run by different organizations. And I was exposed to the power of what happens when 
um, you change your thinking and uh, you see a different way of how something can be done. Mm. And, um, but I didn't do anything about it. Right. I kind of had that experience then it was kind of school and it was, you know, I think it was early nineties and my parents said, no, you've got to go and do something safe. And uh, you know, off you go and um, just pick all your really, you know, safe conservative subjects and do what you should do. And in the back of my mind was this little seed of, you know what, that, that like, I think that's what I should do. Um, you know, I think I should teach. And um, the camps I went on, so I ended up being part of these camps where I trained school leaders um, and uh, got invited back three or four years in a row to run some of the, the parts of it. This is like when I was at uni, like I was 17, 18, 19. And um, still I was doing like a business commerce course or something and thinking I was just going to go on a different track to that. And it was kind of a part-time thing I did. And, um, uh, you know, eventually what I worked out was that, uh, that that was the, the thing I enjoyed the most. And, um, you know, if I could find a way to turn my passion into a vocation and the, the work that gave me the most meaning into a way of, um, and build a business model around that to, to, you know, to create a business, then that was going to be the direction that I head in. Um, but I still played it safe. I, uh, after university, uh, got picked up by Deloitte and um, ended up working in their management consulting area for four years, which was amazing because I kind of knew I wanted to head in this direction of coaching businesses, teams and people. And, but uh, I didn't start there in Deloitte. I ended up implementing technology systems, I worked a lot in supply chain businesses. I worked in government. I worked in charity and I've kind of, it gave me this incredible grounding in the way businesses, people and systems work and what makes a great business from the nuts and bolts. And while I kind of wasn't growing that seed that was in the back of my mind about what I thought I could do, uh, it it actually was an amazing opportunity because it's just given me the grounding that has enabled me to do the work I do in a much more, I think, um, in a much more aligned way with the clients that I meet. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I can add more value. Uh, so there was that. And then I worked for sort of two corporates, two big corporates. Um, and uh, after that, so I made a shift. So that's, I guess the second shift, the first one was, having had that experience at school, the second shift to me was then uh, leaving Deloitte, going and working in a couple of big corporates and recognizing that I wasn't ever going to do my best work from within a big company that uh, like I worked for two of them afterwards, a really big global telco called Verizon, which everyone would know of if they know in the U S um, and I quickly worked out that I was much better as an influencer, someone coming in from the outside, and working from within to create change and um, that I worked much better when, you know, in a smaller organization. And so I jumped ship and started working in a few little consultancies, all designed around, you know, behavior and people change. Mm -hmm. And uh, from there, uh, then around that time I had kids and it gave me the chance to create my own brand 
and to work out what work I was going to be known for. And I think that was finally when the reason the road was created, I was able to look back on that journey and go, what are the things I really believe in of everything I've taught and coached and all the clients I've come across and where it's landed me to is uh, I work with founder teams and leadership teams to create absolute alignment and clarity of purpose throughout an organization so that all the energy is, is focused in one direction. It's not going all sorts of different places. And uh, I also help them work together. So I'm, I'm a massive believer in teamwork and alignment. And I see that in sort of teams within big companies, but I see that in small founder teams is when everything's aligned, that's when the momentum really hits. Mm-hmm. And it's that combination of the reason and the road where, um, you know, the business can really sink. Ooh. So there you go, mate. Long answer. You said before we started, go for it. Yeah, no, no. Right, I'll, give you, I'll give him the full story. Good on you. And, and you know, like I've seen you work uh, uh, in operation and, you know, some of the larger uh, corporate uh, coaching clients that we've had in Australia over the years. Uh, you'll recall I've brought you in as a specialist to really uh, crack the tough nuts. Uh, you might recall one or two in particular in the optical technology field where the executive group was particularly... Uh, uh, guarded I would say in their culture and uh, we decided we needed to bring in the, the heavy heavy artillery and brought you in and it was uh, a lot of fun working with you over those few months um, yeah so fun too the work that you do uh, that which brings me to the fact that you know I think your your greatest work that I've seen uh, and a lot of people have seen um, uh, has been face to face now of course in the last few months We've all been working remotely. Um, yep. Are you guys in Australia are, are bringing down the borders, or certain states are anyway at the moment, and things are looking pretty good in terms of the uh, pandemic control. But I mean, in terms of working remotely, what what does that mean for your business? Um, have you, have you what have you needed to do? Have you needed to pivot? So I've um, yeah, I've completely pivoted my business. So um, this has been a great like you know I know there's a lot of people who have lost their jobs. There's a lot of people who have been sick and it's awful, right? Um, but from a purely business p- perspective for me, this has been amazing. So I-, I wanted to pivot all my coaching programs virtual, either as virtual coaching delivery or online coaching delivery for years. However, it's actually my clients that have resisted that. There is a, there's been a culture within companies that, you know, that face-to-face is higher value and it's the only really way to do it. And, um, and so I've never made an investment in the, the technology platforms I need to, to mean that, you know, my, all my programs can be administered and delivered remotely um, and virtually, but I'm now doing that. And from the moment COVID hit, everything, I shifted all my team coaching work with the leadership teams I work with uh, onto Zoom, which is where I'm now. And uh, and all the one-on-one, I don't do a whole lot of one-on-one, but all the group coaching work I do with leaders, the senior leaders, director level people, because we had no choice. They were at home, right? So no. it was a great chance to sort of test the model. And um, the results have been amazing. So, you know, I think every every one of those teams except one or two have felt like that the work has probably added more value. Um, but from two angles, one is because 
they're able to see how I work and facilitate and create connection through a virtual environment. So it gives them confidence that they can do the same. And then the second is that uh, their sense is that we're kind of more efficient and focused. We don't waste as much time with the hallway conversations. Now, we, we also lose something out of that. But um, I've really pivoted my team coaching work and founder coaching work into lots of short, sharp, one, two-hour sessions, which is working amazingly well. So, you know, before when we do a, a whole day developing a strategy or looking at the future, um, we might do that in a two-hour chunk one week and a two-hour chunk the next. Okay. Um, and that's working really well. So tell you, I mean, it, it's, it's good. I, I, what I'm interested in also is to maybe if you can share with us uh, the types of challenges or the types of problems that you come up against with your clients and the leadership teams that you're working with um, and the type of solutions that you come up with and, and the programs. Um, and I know you work very, um, very ad lib on a lot of, you've got a, you've got a excellent sort of communication style. As you say, it doesn't surprise me at an early age that people you found that people prepared to listen to you and to follow you uh, because you're very engaging and you've got your own, particular style so what are, what are some of those challenges and problems that you face with with clients and what are some of the techniques that you use maybe some case examples uh, from you yeah sure yeah so I think the you know when you think about a um, so I'll talk about two different sectors I'll yeah. talk about the supply chain sector which is um, you know the sector a lot of your clients are listening would be from but I'll also talk about the startup technology sector so other than the, the delivery of my work, the other pivot I've made is I've spent the last sort of two months doing 15, 20 interviews with startup digital companies um, because I want to, I want to uh, prioritize and work with those companies. But I also think there's a lot that, that the bigger companies can learn from the way they operate. So I'll sort of share stories from both of those two sectors. If you think about a leadership team, the reason most of the time someone brings in a coach is because people aren't getting along. Right. Let's be honest. There's there's conflict between you know a couple of people. But but to, if I was really honest, being brought in on that brief is is um, usually not the problem. So it's a symptom. You know the symptom of the relationship being impacted is usually because there's some other more systemic problem in the way. Um, you know in in them not being aligned around their view of the future, in them not being aligned around the way the culture should work, in them not being aligned um, with, you know, product, service, whatever it is. And those systemic tensions that sit in the background because there's actually not an agreement about the path forward um, and how things should look uh, manifest into relationship impacts where people don't get along. Now, don't get me wrong. Just on, just on that issue, yeah. uh, do you find that uh, primarily that those issues come up during uh, coaching on something else in, in leadership development on something else or, or are you finding that those, are, that those issues are part of the brief that are provided to you by the CEO or the managing director? Usually they provide it as part of the brief. Mm. But I'll give you an example, which is... Um, you know, I won't talk about the organisation or anything, but uh, um, one of the things that I think I do well is enable people to be comfortable enough to air 
what they're truly thinking. And so I believe that teams that uh, you know are honest and transparent with one another, both with problems and with opportunities, where they can, where there's that healthy conflict, they're often the ones that go faster. They get further faster um, because there isn't that kind of artificial harmony, that veneer of you know everything's okay. Um, so uh, a couple of teams that I've been working with just recently, so. Uh, uh, a big engineering company. Um, they've actually got a big supply chain part of their business as well. Uh, the the guy run, the CEO, the guy who runs a team, has a dynamic where every single one of their meetings, when there's a tricky subject or a difficult subject, uh, he's the one who has to call it. Right? He's the one who has to. Um, uh, you know, talk about it, bring it up, and everyone else sits back. And the impact on the business is that they, that the, their ability to get closer towards implementing their strategy, which is the future, just doesn't happen um, because it's all relying on him. And uh, so, you know, that creates in, uh, increasing frustration for him because uh, he needs the, the team to share the leadership um, so shared leadership is when everyone together takes ownership over that aligned path forward. And so they all step up at the same level to do that. Now, I think, I genuinely think that's rare, but before I talked about those great companies, you know, the ones that are out competing, you know, 5X, 10X, the others in the, in the market. And I, I would say one of the preconditions for them being a great company is that clarity of path forward in their, in that founding or leadership team. Uh, and then an equal amount of passion and contribution towards that path forward in those people. Um, and so what we, what we did with this particular team was we had a session, like one of these one, two hour sessions. And um, uh, in the call, uh, one of the guys talked about a problem and then left the call to take a client call. And uh, while he was out, uh, I said to the team, like, do you accept, you know, are you okay with that? Like, do you accept that <laughs> behavior? And everyone's like, no, we don't. And I said, well, um, so what stops you saying that? And uh, everyone went, yeah, it was sort of a moment where everyone recognized the fact that they were hesitating in, uh, you know, in just in communicating with one another. And uh, we had a similar moment like that on the same call. And it was just a common recognition of a, a problem that was holding the team back. And I caught up with the, the leader again today. And he said he's really noticed a shift in their, their willingness to step up into calling out behavior, but also calling out business problems. You know, and now some of him, some of him's like, can you just tell them to hang back a little bit because it's a bit full, <laughs> full on now. But it's actually what he wants, right? He wants, he wants shared leadership. He doesn't want to feel alone. He doesn't want to feel like he's the one taking all the responsibility. Mm. Um, you know, and there's a couple of practical reasons for that. One is because multiple heads are better than one when it comes to thinking about the future. And the second thing is um, that you want a succession. 
you know, like, so no CEO wants to feel like they're ever going to be stuck in a, no CEO is ever going to be, be in a role forever. And, you know, every, most of them are being asked now every time they're reviewed, what is your succession plan? Um, so if it's all relying on you and you've got, you know, you're not building the team around you, then that's going to be really hard to have in place. I, I've got a, uh, a number of clients who have struggled a little bit with the remote. I mean, some have done remarkably well and because uh, we're all assimilating to working remotely in one shape, form, design or another, um, especially for a lot of multinational clients, they, they're used to um, online communication. But we've got a few that, are, that have been struggling a little bit with not seeing um, their staff groups and their leadership teams uh, on a face-to-face -face basis. What recommendations do you have in terms of technique uh, around communication, given that many companies are still primarily remote? Um, yeah. What type of techniques to make sure that, that, uh, that the, the gel is working and that the culture of the organisation is progressing, albeit that everybody's quite remote? So, um, and what, and what are, by the way, what are you finding that is working in terms of if they need yeah. to change things up a bit? What are those things What's that working? you discovered? Yeah. So, I'll just, um, you know, I told a little bit about my story, but uh, about 10 years ago now, oh, actually, my son, my old son's uh, 15. So, when he was born, so it would be about 40, 14 years ago, uh, you don't get out much when you've got a baby, right? So, I decided to do a master's of education. And, uh, <clears throat> It was a global master's, so I did all my subjects with remotely with people in uh, Canada, in South Africa, Sweden, and Australia. It was an amazing experience, but it was way ahead of its time. So we were learning and educating online, doing all that courseware, using tools like Skype and uh, all those things before they were as robust as they are now. And uh, the professor we had, uh, who's a professor of education, uh, wanted us to teach us in two levels. One was the future of the world is going to be, at that point, remember when globalisation was massive, everyone was saying everything is going to be global, right, which was the buzzword of the time. And they were forward thinking enough to know we're going to have to train a new cohort of people in how to work globally. And so we were kind of the, the kind of guinea pigs. <laughs> how the hell is this going to work? And one of the concepts of this was, was, that, was this idea of the tutor in the text. So, and what he meant by that was it, was it was a writing style thing. So that when you're talking to someone remotely, you, uh, it's different with video, but with email especially, you cannot convey emotion and you cannot give as much instruction. And the clarity of message often gets missed because the format dilutes some of that meaning. And so you have to overcompensate in building the relationship and getting your message through by being able to give them more information and being clearer than you otherwise would. And I think that's been the theme of talking to all my clients, like the sort of leaders of the teams, is they've had to overcompensate on making sure that connections and relationships and the messages that they're getting through to their stakeholders, whether it be the investors, shareholders, staff, um, you know, uh, all of those different stakeholders they work with, clients, customers, they're really having to overcompensate a little bit. And um, 
you know, so the formats they're doing that in is like I was coaching, you know, the team I talked about the other, uh, just before I was coaching, I coach also a really big, one of the biggest supply chain technology supply chain businesses in the world and sort of work with their leadership team in Australia, in New Zealand. And uh, one of the things that they've always talked about is the personal check-in. And I witnessed it with one of the clients I was talking to the other day where I was, we were in a coaching call, but they were just finishing up a call with a client said, Hey, just hang on a minute. And they'd got a call with a person and just, uh, they just said, Hey, did you just receive the thing that we sent over? We just sent a, we just sent a design over. I was just calling to check that you'd received it. And you know, that was perfectly fine and it all, and it met your requirements. And I think more, I think, I don't think it has to be, I think we've got into this cycle where we're doing half an hour zoom calls with all the team all the time to keep connected. I just think it can just be the little things sometimes, the little phone calls, the little texts, the just checking in just so people are present and aware of, um, and they're keeping those connections warm between, you know, between those stakeholders. Does that answer your question? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, no, that's fine. I, I'm just really interested to know, you know, what techniques you're using and, and the sort of different dynamics you're coming across. And, you know, to, speaking to that, uh, I know that you uh, quite often will uh, facilitate um, senior uh, company uh, leadership team meetings. Uh, yep. And I've, I've seen a bit of that in action, as I said earlier. Um, in relation to a particularly tough bunch of uh, executives that we were dealing with some years ago that I brought you in for, um, you may recall that. Share yeah, with you're us a testing little... me out. How, yeah. how good is this guy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you can get these guys over the line, then... you got, you got to work <laughs> out. Yeah. Yeah. But it had some interesting uh, moments. Uh, we reflect back yeah. on, on the challenge, the really challenging, try and cast your mind to some really challenging yeah, yeah. environments that you've come across. Uh, again, you know, what, what are some of the, what are some of the ways that you have found, and this, this may play to so, our audience as well when they're dealing with, as you say, different stakeholders and it might be clients and it's, and it's challenging to, uh, to, to really break down or create that relationship, break down the barriers. What are some of the, the ways that you believe uh, leaders and, and senior uh, people, whether they're in supply chain or other industries, can uh, evoke to, to build those relationships? Because essentially a lot of what you do is about building relationships and enhancing them and, and taking them across yeah. all spectrums. So maybe you can share some of the, the ideas that you've got around that and what's tended to have worked for you. Yeah, so I think you're exactly right then. So you think about the leadership team in the centre of the organisation and then around it is all those connections to, to suppliers, to partners, to staff, um, to peers in other companies, um, to clients and customers. Uh, running a business, especially a supply chain business, is a complex web of relationships. So... The, your ability to maintain and build and sustain those relationships will determine a lot about your success. It'll make the supply chain more efficient, but it'll just make sure that the work gets done. It's like, you know, it's, it's greasing the wheels of business almost is what relationships do. 
So a couple of things to think about. The number one rule with relationships is it's not about you. Mm-hmm. So you think about that group of people we worked with uh, and um, who, yeah, let's describe them as, as very technical people. They, they don't naturally probably prioritise or, um, you know, uh, think about relationships a lot. Very low EQ. Very low EQ, thank you. Uh, if I made the assumption that I was going to work with them and uh, try and uh, on, on my terms, which is that to work with them, they have to believe in that staff and that all mattered, then immediately the way I'm going to communicate is from a premise of there's a gap, there's something wrong, uh, there's a problem, there's, uh, you know, there's a distance between you and I. And uh, the what's in it, yeah, so the uh, it's not about you idea is that with any audience, um, they're asking the question of uh, why am I here and um, what does this mean to me and what should I do about it? And so in any communication, I think whether you're running a workshop or a facilitator event or with a written piece of information, if you can answer those key questions really early on, uh, those key questions everyone's got in their mind, and put yourself in the shoes of the audience, I think that's the thing to winning them over and creating followership. Um, and if you can then wrap those messages up in a really nice story uh, that takes people along from where they are at the moment to where they could potentially get to, uh, you start to then start to shift the relationship. Um, people can see, you know, value in connecting with you and value in, in, in uh, investing in you, value in working for you and, uh, you know, value in keeping connected. So I think that's, that's probably the first rule. And then the, the only other one would be to choose your channel, right? Choose your channel of communication. So, um, you know, once you've got that premise of it's not about you, um, you know, for some people, their preference is, is to is to text or to, um, you know, connect on Zoom. Others, it's phone call. Others, it's, uh, you know, different mediums. And I think that's partly generational, but it's also partly a preference of communication. And I think um, being being aware of that is a good, uh, you know, a really good way to think about the different the different people that you connected with and how to connect with them into the future. Mm. Okay. No, that, that's fine. And, and I guess that sort of goes to the issue also of um, performance outcomes. And, and what I'm also interested in finding out from you is if you can share with us um, sort of some of the ways that your clients um, are evaluating performance uh is it traditional kpis that they're using has there been much of a difference in the way in the leadership teams that you're dealing with and i mean i know a lot of the teams that you're dealing with there's a lot of salespeople involved um there's a lot of people who are responsible for growing businesses uh yep. what are you seeing as some of the evaluation methodologies that, that the companies that you're working with are using 
currently yeah. to evaluate performance. And has that changed over the last few months? Has, has that stayed reasonably static or has it changed? No, I think, um, I think, so the way, I had a brilliant analogy the other day that I think I shared with you and we caught up, but the analogy is this, which is COVID-19 or this pandemic is like you're in a boat in a storm out at sea, right? So there's a big storm going on and everyone's trying to survive and they're trying to find a way through the storm out to the other side where there's clear blue skies and flat seas again. But the challenge is, is we're all in different boats. So some of us are in like 60 foot liners um, and, and the equivalent of a 60 foot liner for a business is you're, you know, you're in uh, groceries or, um, you know, the, the industries that have, you're in Zoom, right? <laughs> the industries that have gone gangbusters over this last sort of uh, three, three to six months. And some of us are in these small little dinghies. Um, you know, we we are in travel or tourism, um, and the arts. You know, anything that's highly exposed to getting people together. So I think the the thing to recognise about the pandemic is it's differentially impacted people, and I think what that does is create guilt um, for people who are, you know, if you're on the wrong side. Um, you know, if you're on the right side, you feel guilty because you know there's you know there's people around you suffering. Um, but if I think get back to your original question, which is performance is relative right now. I still think with the work I do. So what I mean by performance is relative. I think regardless it is if regardless of whether this has created market demand for you or it's created a market loss for you then I still think the rules around setting focus for your organisation for a set period of time on a small number of things that allow everyone to understand what the focus is applies. So I'll give you, give you an example. The organisation I was talking about before, they initially uh, were massively impacted by this because most of their workforce was involved in delivering the jobs and uh, they had to work virtually. Uh, they also are involved in delivering billion dollar contracts. So huge things. And so once it became clear this was a storm, then they knew they had to pivot their expectations. And so what they did was make, make it a six week sprint in their team. And I, I'm a big believer in kind of, you have a 12 month strategy or a big vision, a kind of 12 month strategy. You have a quarterly theme or a quarterly focus, and then you sort of do six week sprints. And they did a six week sprint on not bringing in, not building their pipeline with really big jobs, but building with their pipeline with really smaller jobs um, that were immediate things that they could help people with. Uh, and actually what's happened is because they've got everyone got everyone galvanized around that they're like they're 150 percent on their target from last year <laughs> so they're doing incredibly well and just because they were able to get them yeah you know, a large group of people focused on the opportunity not on the problem okay so so just to, to maybe wrap up then uh, what i'd be interested to hear from you about is 
Any, any quick tips? I mean, a lot of leaders are, you know, under all sorts of stresses and strains, both internally to, from the organisation, stakeholders, family situations, uh, general environment. Um, what, what are some of the ways of feeling, feeling a bit under pressure, um, that anxiety come into the influence of decision-making? Yeah. What, what do you think some of the tips are that you could offer in regards to help people maintain that focus and, you know, no matter what role they are in an organisation, anybody in the audience here who's, who's struggling with, whether it's they're zoomed out, they've got, they're doing, they've got Zoom fatigue, or there's so many other influences that are affecting them, or they're struggling to work remotely. What are some of the really quick tips from your perspective to help people maintain yeah. focus and, and their drive? I think a couple of principles and then some tips with those. I think the first one is, is that you can't serve others if you can't look after yourself. So I know before I talked about that idea of it's not about you, but that's in your communication. So if, if you can't, you know, if you don't have the resources within you to inspire, to deliver the message you need to, you know, the first point of call is to look after yourself, whether that's, you know, Zoom fatigue or whatever it is. I think most leaders in the world now know right now that uh, caring for their staff and creating balance for their staff is a good thing for business and a good thing for them. So I think if you, you know, if you are having trouble, you know, creating either the balance you need or, you know, with your thinking or whatever it is, I think, you know, obviously you need to seek the help. Um, and part of that might be getting a coach, you know, for your team or your organisation, um, but seek the help you need to be able to get back, you know, to address the problems you need to, to get back to where you need to be. Um, I think the second one in terms of your motivation is, I think it has thrown a lot of people in terms of their view of the future. I think, um, the, that's created a lot of loss and the loss is, you know, I kind of had a dream and there's a, there's a whole lot of assumptions based in that dream that are not going to happen now. And I think um, we're not the first generation to have gone through that. You know, the, um, this is not unique to us. It's happened a lot of times. Uh, this th this is what happens is going to play out over the next 20, 30, 40 years. Like it'll define, it'll probably pretty much define the century, I'd say. So accept the fact that there is going to be some loss involved in letting go of your perception of how things, what things might have been. But the loss also creates opportunity. It also creates the ability to adapt and see something new. And um, and I think that's the exciting part of it as well is these little changes are happening. These little micro changes are happening all the time around us all the time. This just happens to be one really big one. Um, and most of us are reasonably good at adapting to the smaller ones. We're just going to get a little bit better at how we adapt to the big one. So I think tr trying to find what is, what is the, the evolution, the adaption, um, the way, the shifting, the way you need to change both as a leader in terms of how you work, but also as a business at an organisational level around what markets you play in and who you play with and who you work with and what you provide to them. That can create that motivation and creative juice, I think, mm -hmm. um, even in a, in a really tough time.
So understand your own reality, uh, make sure your context is, is, is real um, and that, uh, yeah. that you're not getting lost and distracted on ideas and, and environments which aren't really going to work for you. Yeah. Okay. Hey, uh, well, look, Andrew, I know, um, I know you've got a bunch of kids there to look after. It's probably getting on for dinner time for you. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> it's good, uh, out, out in the bush. So, look, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, congratulations on the success and, and, and for all the work you do. I know you do a lot of work in the community as well. Um, I know that you're always happy to, to listen to people and, and to, to speak to them about any of the challenges that they've got around, whether it be, you know, corporates or small, medium-sized businesses and, and give some initial advice to anybody who gets onto your website. So the reason on the road will insert uh, contact details down in the comments uh, for this uh, podcast so people can reach out to you. I know you're more than yeah. happy to give input. I mean, if you look at, at www.thereasonandtheroad, all lowercase.com, if you just go on there and you'll, you'll see on my front site, there's a, a place where you can book a call. And, you know, the first question most people have is with, a, with working someone is, are they credible? You know, can they provide their outcomes I'm after? And you can see there's a bunch of testimonials and stuff on my site. And the second is fit and chemistry. So you would have got some of that kind of from the way I've been talking and you can see the way I work. Um, but usually on that uh, page you'll see a button that says uh, booking a quick fit call and we can just work out whether we're a good fit if there's a problem that you need addressed right well always entertaining and always intriguing and unique uh, products so uh, well done thanks again andrew and uh, to everybody who's joined us today we, we respect the fact that your time is valuable we appreciate you joining us again uh, a shout out to all of the uh, first responders and frontline workers that have been working so hard over the last three or four months during this pandemic period to all the people on logistics and supply chain who are working so hard to keep uh, trade moving and, and business happening. Um, we, we thank you as well. So uh, thanks again, everybody. Uh, appreciate your time. And uh, Andrew, thank you. And we look forward to seeing you all again. Thanks a lot.